Thanks for joining us today. We are always encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all across the world through what He's doing right here in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Please take a moment and share what God is doing in your life by sending an email to info at cccmurphy.com. We trust that you will be blessed by today's message. All right. Have you got your Bibles? I want you, if you will, to uh, go with me to the 2 Timothy 3 and 14. I want to read a verse of scripture there for you before we get started. I was thinking about the, uh, Mike, if you would take a bit on this monitor. I was thinking about uh, the school shooting that happened this past week in Texas. How many of you heard about that? And unfortunately, that's not the only school shooting we've had this year. There have been multiple school shootings this year. And so you've got to ask yourself a question, what's going on in our society? Where are we at? And I think that we need to be praying for these families, but we also need to be asking God to give us direction in how we can help affect a change. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready for a change. <clears throat> so in 2 Timothy 3 and 14, it says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Plain English, Paul tells Timothy, you need to be sure of what you've learned and have confidence in who you've learned it from. Now, Paul knew Timothy had learned about scriptures from his mother and his grandmother, people that loved him, people that really cared about him, and he knew that he had a firm and secure foundation in what he had learned, what he'd been taught. But when you think about that, you, you realize everyone hasn't been as blessed as Timothy. Not everyone has had someone love them and pour the truth of God's word into them, allowing them to see their worth and their purpose. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen just out in public children being screamed at and profanities being yelled at them? There's something wrong with that scene, that picture. And it's because if you don't feel worth yourself, then you're never going to be able to imply worth to someone else. If you don't understand who you are, then you're never going to help someone else understand who they are. And so the topic of my message this morning is, who am I? Would you say that with me? Who am I? We live in a society now that has gotten so twisted in their thinking that they're trying to play gender politics and tell kids that, you know, you know and encourage children that are five years old to, well, now you may, be, you may not be a little boy. You may be a little girl. Look, do you understand how ridiculous that sounds? Children learn from what they're taught. They're, they, they pick up their identity from the people that are speaking worth and value into their life. Amen. 
So if you grew up in, and you heard your parents always tell you you were an accident, then you struggle with your own self-worth because you feel like, well, I've got no purpose. I was just an accident. I'm a mistake. I need to tell you this up front before we get started. The relationship that brought you into this world might have been illegitimate, but you're not illegitimate. The people that parented you may have, may have done a horrific job at it, but God's always had a purpose and a plan for your life, and you have worth in God's eyes. We're all learning. So the question needs to be asked, what are we learning and who are we learning from? As parents, we, we try and safeguard relationships of our children because we're afraid of the influence. Everybody's saying influence. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had, uh, those of you that are parents in here, how many of you ever had children that you tried to encourage your children to hang around? How many of you had children that you were trying to discourage your children from hanging around? Look at all the hands that, that went up then. The first one, it was like, well, yeah. Pearls don't show up in every oyster. So it's important that you search. You don't, you, you know, don't give up a search. Just because, don't, don't all of a sudden say, well, there's no point in even trying because I'm telling you that that was Elijah's problem. Elijah, after his great victory, went out in the wilderness to die, and he said, look, I'm the only one left. What's the point in even trying? And I love what God told him. God told him, basically, he told, you know, he, he, an angel wakes him up, and it's God's way of saying, would you get up? <laughs> quit, quit living in the defeated mentality. Quit beating yourself down and feeling like you're the only one. He said, I've got 7,000 others that have never bowed a knee to Baal or kissed his lips. What's he saying? He's saying, I've got a people. And what I want is my people to influence people. <laughs> Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to be an influence on you. Does that make you feel weird? <laughs> look, at, look, at someone, look at someone and say it this way. Say, I'd like to be an influence on you. You see, the, the whole thing about what are we allowing into our world, what are we allowing into our zone. So, and as parents, we try and safeguard that. My son, Jonathan, years ago, we had, we, we had a young man that came over. He spent the night at the house. I think, did I tell that? I did. Wave, wave your hand if you've heard that before. Wave at your hand if you've never heard it. You're getting ready to hear it again. Okay. <laughs> So Jonathan invited this young boy over to spend the night, and, and he was a rascal. And so in the middle of the night, they opened up the window. The boy talked Jonathan into leaving the house. They opened up the window, crawled out of the window, and took off. He didn't realize that I would be doing a bed check. And so I got up and looked in the room. They were gone. I got in the car, drove around the neighborhood, and Jonathan saw the car and he said, oh, man, we're in trouble. I got to get back home. I got to get back home. They take off trying to get back home, trying to dodge around. And when I walked in, you know, and they were in the bedroom and they were trying to act all. And I thought, no, you're busted. <laughs> I looked at the young man that was there to spend the night. And I said, son, the best thing you can do right now is go home. 
And it didn't take him but a second to get his stuff and head home. And then I gave, I, I talked to Jonathan before I spanked him. It doesn't do any good just to spank a child if you're not explaining the why behind it. They think you're just angry. And Jonathan, years later, told me, he said, Dad, I've always thought about that. And he said, that whipping you gave me. He said, and I saw how that other boy's life turned out, and I realized how thankful, how blessed I was to have you. Or, I mean, that, that you were willing to do that. My dad, how many of you ever got a whipping? You know what I'm talking about? We used to call them whipping. You call them that now, you go to jail. You ever got a whipping? You ever have, anybody ever use a switch on you? They'd send you out to pick your own switch. That's not just, that's mental abuse, man. Are you kidding me? I tried pulling a twig down one time and handing it out. It doesn't work. They send your brother or sister out after it, and they'll bring a tree in to beat you with. <laughs> and so they, they you know, they, that, that switch, and my dad, man, my dad had used a belt. Did you ever do one of these? I was in the rodeo before I ever knew there was a rodeo. <laughs> and the, the whole time, the whole time, this used to get next to me. The whole time he's saying, one of these days you're going to thank me. I almost, I didn't, because I knew it was going to prolong the agony if I did. But I almost looked at him and said, I'll thank you right now if you'll stop. <laughs> but see, we go through that and what we don't understand while we're kids is what's happening is sometimes our parents are a little bit in a panic because they love us so much and they're concerned about the type of influence that people are going to have on us and so they try and safeguard that influence as best they can because they know it's hard once someone has been impacted to get them back on course. If you would watch this with me, please. Amazing, isn't it? How that something that seems so harmless can have such an impact. You say, well, pastor, what's that got to do with us? I mean, that's Andy Griffith. Take a look in the scripture. And it's not a child, it's a man. In 2 Samuel 13 and 3, there's this verse. But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. Do you understand that that friendship nearly cost David the throne and almost his life? Well, how could a friendship do that? Ammon had a half-sister that he had the hots for. I'm just going to put it in plain English. But he knew in his heart there was right and wrong established here. And so he wouldn't act on what he was feeling. How many of you know that sometimes your feelings can get you in a mess? So he had a moral compass. There was, there was 
right and wrong established in his heart and he would not act on it until Jonadab spoke up and said, hey, let me tell you how you, there's nothing wrong with this and let me explain to you how you can make it happen. He took the advice of that friend, raped his sister and ended up killed by a brother and the brother was almost ready to kill his father because David let it go. All because of a friend. And when Ammon died, do you know where that friend was? Standing next to the king saying, oh, don't be afraid, king. Don't worry. All your sons aren't dead. Absalom had just made up his mind he was going to kill Ammon ever since, she raped Tamar, ever since he'd raped Tamar. So the rest of your sons are fine. He's the only one that's dead. And that rascal was the one that put the thought in his head, and he acted on it. Now, it's true that we're responsible for our own actions, but our actions come from thoughts. And you've got to be careful who you're allowing to feed thoughts into your head. Where are those thoughts coming from? Who, who's pouring into your life telling you who you are? Who are you allowing to identify you? When those that we are allowing to influence our lives have no moral compass, then we lose our true north. Everybody say a true north. If your compass doesn't work, if your compass doesn't have a true north, then it's impossible for you to know where you're at if you're following that compass. If the compass is messed up, if something is wrong with inside the compass, then there's no way for you to be able to determine where you are. Now, can I explain to you that sometimes what we do is we allow our heart to be our compass. And that can get you in a world of trouble. Go ahead and run that real quick. Did you hear what he said? He said, this, the, the man said, the compass is broke. And the pirate said, it's true that this compass doesn't point to a true north. And she asked, where's it point? And he said, to the thing that you want most in this world. God help us. When we allow the navigation system of our life to become the thing we want most in this world. Everybody say, in this world. Let me talk to you about that for just a second. Because if you're allowing your heart to become your navigation system, Jeremiah 17 and 9 said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Here's the thing, if it's pointing to the thing that you want most in this world, then if you hand it to somebody else, it's going to point in a different direction. So there's no true north. And the truth is, is it's not going to point in the same direction when you hold it. 
It's going to change directions according to when you hold it and what you want while you're holding it. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you in here that if, if you had acted on what your heart desired or what you wanted most in this world, how many of you would have been in a mess of trouble if you acted on what you wanted the most at times? Hold your hand up. A lot of us would be in jail. If you acted on, think about it. I want to be married. I want to be single. It changes according to the day. How many of you married folks do not raise your hands? How many of you married folks have ever thought in your heart, man, I wish I'd stayed single. Raise your hand and you're a dead man. How many, think about this. You've got folks that are, marriage is like a screen door. You've got flies on the outside trying to get in and flies on the inside trying to get out and neither one of them knows why. We got folks trying to get into marriage and they don't know why. We got folks trying to get out of marriage and they don't know why. Because you're navigating by your emotions. Your heart is deceitful. It can, it can change. How many of you ladies have ever changed the color of your hair? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you, if you just hold it up if you change. Okay, so let's talk about that a second. You've changed the color of your hair or you, you, know, or you dye your hair, you know? Why? Because you want a change. If it goes gray, sometimes we dye it because we want to look younger. If we're a brunette, sometimes we want to be a blonde. And if we're a blonde, sometimes we want to be a redhead. And with jello, you can do it all. <laughs> Honest to goodness, man, I've been in the supermarket before where I've seen rainbow hair. And I looked, I thought, wow, were you born that way? <laughs> See, we, we, we're constantly changing according to what our heart's desire is. And man, that's a, that is a dangerous way to live because the heart is desperately wicked. And who can know it? If you don't think your heart's desperately wicked, let me, let me give you a test. How many of you have ever had somebody cut you off in traffic? And what ran through your heart at that moment? I didn't ask you what you wanted to run through their heart. But you know, you know what I'm talking about? That, that moment that, oh, boy, if I had, I had, well, no, I'm not going to tell that. I, if you want to find out about it, you can ask me after service. I don't want to tell it and go online with it. I may be in trouble. But, but here's what I'm saying is this, is that there are times that you feel emotions that are desperately wicked. There are other times that you feel emotions that may not be desperately wicked, but they're still wrong. Amen. It's a desperately wicked emotion of somebody you know, cut you off in traffic and you want to kill them. If they cut you off in traffic and all you do is want to beat them, 
That might not be desperately wicked, but it's still wrong. Everybody say it's wrong. And so we've got to have a navigation system that we can trust. So people ask this question. Why so many school shootings? It's because there's no true north. We have, instead of becoming more wise, it seems like we've lost our way. So we live in a society now where right and wrong isn't taught. It's just all subjection. You take God out of school and wonder why there's so many wicked things happening in school. You say, well, it's not the school's responsibility to teach us about God. That's exactly right. But the school keeps you from exercising what you've learned about God. I can't pray. I'm not allowed to carry a Bible. Now, all schools aren't this, but I'm just telling you, I'm I'm not citing anything to you that I haven't read cases of. Where you're not allowed, where students got in trouble for having a Bible with them, where they were stopped from praying, where they were told they can't mention God in a commencement exercise. I'd be in desperate trouble right now if I were in school because I always bucked the system. What are you talking about? I never accepted anything just because somebody told me, and I didn't accept God just because somebody told me. But because somebody told me, it caused me to go in search of him, and when I went in search of him, I found him. He said, because he's not far from any of us. And so in finding him and recognizing him, then all of a sudden I found purpose. I found a reason. But if there's no right and wrong, then the foundation we build on is no longer sure. Because after all, if you say, well, it's not wrong for me to... Let me just ask this. If, if, how many, if we're, here's what we're being taught. That we come from a cosmic swamp. Now what value and what worth can be found there outside of the fact that it's a blatant lie? When I was in school, it used to be taught as a theory. Now it's being taught as fact and there's no empirical evidence for it. And so it's still a theory, but that's what's being taught that we, we well, if, if I come from a swamp, then I've got no purpose. I've got no meaning. Why am I here? Who am I? I've got some news for you folks. You didn't come out of a swamp. You were created in the image of God. There's a reason that you're here. There's someone that cares about you. There's someone that loves you, and you've got to find that. We find ourselves listening to a multitude of voices that draw us into the wrong places, into desperate situations, trying to discover who we are. How many of you ever had friends influence you and you got in trouble over it? Wave your hand. Anybody want to tell what you did? No, that's okay. (laughs) 
that you got in trouble. How many of you had friends influence you, you got in trouble over it, and you knew it was wrong before you did it? Isn't it amazing that built in here? You know, it's, it's amazing because when Paul writes to us and he's teaching us, he said, look, the Jews had a law that they followed. And, and what did the law do? The law told us right from wrong. But then it goes beyond that because he talks about the Gentiles. Because what do you say? You say, well, what about when there was no law? He covered it when he speaks about the Gentiles. And he said, but the Gentiles have a law to themselves. What's he saying? He's saying when there was no law that they could follow, they still knew inherently in their heart what was right and what was wrong. Because when you're created in the image of God and he breathed into you, he put that in you. And so what happens is we get formed and we get molded until all of a sudden now I don't know who I am because of all the voices that are screaming in my ear. that are telling me I have no value. I have no worth. There's a story in Scripture. It's found in the book of Luke. It tells a story about a relationship between a son and his father. Now hang with me here for a second. Because the story, the, the, the parable or the allegory of, of this story is not speaking about the relationship that exists between a son and his earthly father. That's not, it's, even though it's speaking of that, that's not what it's describing. It's not what it's pointing to. So sometimes people read that, and look, some folks were blessed with a great dad. And if, you had a, 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 if you're one of those that had a great dad, you need to thank God for it. But some folks had some stinkers. For dads. And so if you had a stinker, you need to understand that that relationship isn't pointing to the stinker that you knew. The relationship is pointing to your heavenly father. So the son finds himself in a place where he's more interested in his daddy's stuff than he is with a relationship with his dad. And so look, God isn't going to force anyone to stay home. God isn't going to force anyone into relationship. And so what happens is they, he, he asked for his stuff. He said, I, I want to go. He grabs his stuff. He takes off. And what's he do? You remember the story? What's he do? He, he blows it, but how does he blow it? Man, he's, he's, he's got prostitutes. He's, got, he, he's, he's shooting up. He's, well, I don't even know what they had shooting up, but if you put it in modern day terms, he's shooting up, he's smoking up, he's, he's drinking up, and he is getting messed up. Now, here's my question. Who taught the boy to do that? Not his dad. This boy had been at home his whole life. He, he didn't learn that from his dad. I guarantee you somewhere he had a friend. Amon had a friend. How many of you in here have some friends? Hold your hand up if you got some friends. How many of you thought you had a friend? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You thought you had a friend and then things... 
and they were gone. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of the type of friends that you all decide you're going to go egg a house on Halloween. And you, and the police pull up and they throw the eggs in your hand and take off running. And so they're gone and left you holding the eggs. Somebody say, you got egg on your face. <laughs> and so now you're in trouble and they're all gone. I knew a preacher that something like, similar to that happened to and they found all the friends and brought them in. And all the friends said he was a gang leader. So he got arrested. Nothing happened to them, but he got, they said every one of them pointed a finger at you. What a friend. Here's what I'm saying. is that somehow that boy got influenced. And when he figured out that what his heart wanted was wrong. He was so far away from home, he didn't know if he could make it back. He comes to himself eating with pigs. He said, you know what? Man, even servants in my dad's house got treated better than I'm being treated. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell my dad I'm no longer worthy to be your son. How many of you have ever felt that way? I'm not worthy. I met folks that I was trying to lead to the Lord, and they looked at me, and they said, now God could never save me. You don't know what I've done. He knows what you've done. You say, well, I, I mean, how could God ever love me? Well, if you, look at the, if you look at the parable, if you look at the prodigal son, that Jesus' story that Jesus is telling, what he's telling you is how God feels about you, and we miss it. And so that boy starts home, and he doesn't feel worthy. He feels undone. He feels like I've blown it. I messed up. I don't know what caused me to do it. And he's on his way home, and he's hoping that maybe that dad will let him sleep in the barn and, and just be a servant. But when his father spots him at a distance and sees him coming, the Bible said that his father went running after him, grabbed him up and held him in his arms and said, my son has come home again. What's he do? He said, you go get me a robe, a ring, and kill that fat cow out there because my son needs to understand who he is. He is not a stranger in his father's house. He is my blood. He is my life. He is my son. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I got some good news for you today. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've been exposed to. You've got a daddy that loves you, that's saying, come home. Come home. Sometimes we ask ourselves a question. What have I become? Why don't you quit asking that question and begin to look toward heaven and say, I want to be who you made me to be. Amen. And whatever you've become can be undone 
by the one that spoke you into existence in the beginning. Would you stand with me today? It's good news. Everybody say good news. We get so... Any of you ever, ever, have you ever had a point in your life that you felt so lost? You just couldn't find your way home? Jonathan and I went hunting. He wasn't, he wasn't, I mean, a little baby. He was 15 years old. And we went into a, a to hunt in a place we'd never been before. So the woods were very thick. I got him positioned in a tree and I went and found another place to hunt. We were deer hunting. And Jonathan got bored in that tree and he got down and he started walking around and he got turned around and he was lost. You ever feel lost? And I heard him say, Dad, Dad, I didn't say a word. Why? Because I'm hunting. And I literally thought, well, maybe he'll stir some deer up to run my way. And he, he kept going on and Dad, Dad, and I didn't say a word until I heard his voice change. And he said, Daddy? When he said, Daddy, something came alive in me. That's my boy out there, and he's desperate. He thinks he's lost, even though I've got him in sight. If you'd let me say it this way, he was lost in the sight of home. He wasn't outside of my reach, outside of my grasp, but because he didn't know where I was. He was lost and undone. God knows where you're at. His eye is on you. You haven't got past his reach, past his grab. He knows what you're going through. He knows the desperation of your situation. And what he's waiting for is a heart that calls out like a child. Daddy. And I immediately responded. I said, Jonathan, I'm here. He said, Dad, I'm lost. I can't. I said, keep, I said, son, just keep walking toward my voice. I said, I'll talk, keep, keep walking toward my voice. I said, I'm I'm right here. Just keep coming. So I heard him walking and he's walking and I'm I'm talking. Then all of a sudden I hear the gun go off. Then it was my turn to do some hollering because I thought he had tripped and that gun went off and he may have harmed himself. And I hollered out, I said, Jonathan. He said, yeah. I said, are you all right? He said, yeah. I said, why did you shoot your gun? He said, because I I wasn't sure where you were, so I wanted to fire a round off so you'd know where I am. <laughs> God knows right where you're at. 
and he's saying, why don't you come on home? That, that father had sat on the porch every day looking in the distance, hoping that his son would top that hill. And when he saw him top the hill, he didn't sit on the porch and fold his arms and sit there with a smug look on his face saying, I knew you'd be back. He went running to meet him because God loves you so much He'd rather die for you than live without you. That's the kind of love we have. And my friend, that's who you are. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. If you would just stretch your hands toward home. Would you do it? Just toward home. I don't know what it's going to be. I've anticipated what heaven might be like a lot of times. I've gone over it in my mind. and Been a few times I've went for walks at night and looked up at the stars and the moon. And I thought, God, man, I'd love to just, could I pop up for a second? Doesn't work like that. But sometimes we get a glimpse. Or, but it's just that longing. It's just that there's something magnetic that calls us to him. And today, if you'll pray this simple prayer with me, all the anxiety, all, all the fear, all the uncertainty, the desperate situation you find yourself in can change in a moment when you find your way back to the arms of the one that created you the one that loves you. His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Dear Lord, I come to you now asking you into my heart. Forgive me of my past. Remove my sin. And call me home. I love you. I want you to hold me now. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose again. And today, I made a joint heir with Christ in Jesus' name. Come on and give me a hand clap of praise. If you prayed that prayer from your heart and you meant it, then you need to be excited because your final destination just changed. 